Business, I have agreed to a request from the First Minister to provide an update on coronavirus before the start of First Minister's questions. Presiding officer, I am very grateful for the opportunity to update Parliament on today's COVID cases and repeat my assessment of what we must do in response to the current situation. 5,951 cases were reported yesterday. 45.4% of cases now show the S gene dropout indicative of Omicron. It therefore seems likely that by tomorrow, Omicron will be the dominant strain circulating in Scotland. And because of its much higher transmissibility, this will drive an even more rapid increase in cases. Omicron is spreading exceptionally fast, much faster than anything experienced so far in the pandemic. I am profoundly concerned by the scale and the immediacy of the challenge it poses. In response, we are already rapidly accelerating delivery of boosters and we will continue to do so. 59,437 booster or third doses were administered yesterday, a further increase on the day before. But, presiding officer, we must understand that Omicron is currently running faster than even the fastest rollout of vaccines. And also a key point that the immune protection from vaccination is not immediate. It takes a few days. So as we speed up vaccines, we must also act to slow this virus down. If we don't, the consequences will be significant. Even if Omicron's impact on individual health is milder than other variants, and let me stress, we have no evidence of that yet, many will still become severely unwell and die, and the sheer number of people infected will present a massive challenge. Indeed, in London, where transmission of Omicron is currently the highest in the UK, hospital admissions are now rising sharply. If we don't act now, what we have feared all along, but so far avoided the overwhelming of the NHS, could happen. But let me be clear, this is not a choice between protecting health and protecting the economy. A surge in, effect in infections will cause indeed is already causing staff absences that will also cripple the economy and other critical services. Presiding officer, this is a really serious situation and we must respond accordingly. I therefore want to strongly underline the advice I gave on Tuesday. Please reduce your contact with people from households other than your own as much as you possibly can. For now, please stay at home much more than you normally would and as much as is feasible. Uh, right now, the risk of getting COVID from interactions with others is high and it is rising. So ask yourself before doing anything you might have planned over the coming days, is it as safe as it needs to be? And is it vital enough to you to justify that risk? I suspect what is most important to most of us over the next couple of weeks is having time with our families at Christmas. Every interaction we have before then increases the risk of us getting COVID and so possibly losing that. More generally, I suspect what matters most to us, and I know this is strongly my view, is protecting children's education. So by acting to reduce community transmission, we will also be helping keep schools open and open safely. Presiding officer, given what I am being advised about uh, the risk Omicron poses to health and the economy, I would not be fulfilling my duty if I failed to give this advice. I would not be acting in good conscience. However, I am acutely aware of and deeply concerned about the considerable impact of this advice on businesses. Although, let me repeat, businesses will also suffer if we don't act to slow the virus. The fact is, business now needs the type and scale of financial support that was available earlier in the pandemic. However, there are simply no mechanisms available to the devolved administrations to trigger the scale of finance needed to support such schemes. 
We need the UK Government to act urgently and in the same way some other countries are already doing. I made this point again at a COBRA meeting yesterday, chaired by Michael Gove and attended by the Chief Secretary to the Treasury. But this now needs the urgent engagement of the Prime Minister and the Chancellor. We must not sleepwalk into an emergency that for both health and business will be much greater as a result of inaction than it will be if we act firmly and strongly now. I have therefore written to the Prime Minister this morning appealing to him to put the necessary support schemes in place, such as the urgency I have asked to speak to him directly later today. Presiding officer, none of us want to be in this position, but Omicron presents a renewed and very real challenge for the whole world. The World Health Organisation could not be clearer about that. Once again, the duty to protect the NHS, lives and livelihoods must be uppermost in our minds and it must drive our actions. All of us, governments and citizens, must do what is required. I'm asking everybody across the country, please play your part again by following the advice we are giving. Thank you. Thank you. We now turn to First Minister's questions. In light of the First Minister's update, I will take all constituency and general supplementaries after question seven. Members wishing to ask uh, such a question, such a supplementary, please press your request to speak buttons during question two. And members wishing to ask supplementaries on questions three to seven, please press during the relevant question. Question number one, Douglas Ross. Thank you, Presiding Officer. And I listened to the First Minister's statement, and she was right to look at what we can do on a UK-wide approach. Uh, and I'll be focusing today on, on what we can do here uh, in Scotland right now. Because Scotland's vaccination scheme has already delivered a booster to more than half of all over 18-year-olds. That's down to everyone in our NHS, our armed forces and all our volunteers. And I want to thank you for making that happen. But we still need to vaccinate far more people to get ahead in this race against the new variant. For weeks, we have been calling for the reintroduction of mass vaccination centres. Nicola Sturgeon repeatedly refused until on Tuesday she accepted and agreed the need for them. We have learned today that the EICC in Edinburgh and Hampden Park in Glasgow will open as mass vaccination centres. This is exactly what we have been calling for for weeks. So there was no mention of it in the First Minister's statement, so perhaps she can tell us now how many other new centres will open, where will they be and when will they start vaccinating people? First Minister. Can I, uh, I want to come on to that because Douglas Ross is absolutely right to raise the critical importance of vaccination and the speed of vaccination. Um, I just want to underline a point I did make in my opening remarks and that is that very much in the context of this race between the virus and the vaccines. Of course, we are going as fast as we can and will continue to pick up pace in the vaccines. But I just want to make this point. Somebody vaccinated with a booster today does not immediately get the immune protection from that. It will be some days before that is the case. And we have a variant of this virus right now that is doubling every two or so days. So we are in a situation right now that no matter how fast we go with vaccines, this variant of the virus is at the moment running faster. Therefore, yes, we need to speed up vaccinations, but while we are doing that, we must also act to slow down the virus. That is a simple statement of fact, and the protection of health, lives, but also the economy and businesses depends on us doing that. 
Um, we currently, and uh, Douglas Ross uh, rightly uh, mentioned this, we became the first part of the UK yesterday to pass 50% of over 18s uh, vaccinated with a booster. We still have uh, the fastest uh, vaccination programme in the UK. We are picking up pace every day. The figures I gave today demonstrates that. One of the things we are doing, which is the most important thing right now, and there is still capacity to be got from this, is shifting focus from the remainder of the flu vaccination campaign into boosters. We administered in the last two days each day more than 70,000 vaccinations each day, but some of them, uh, I think yesterday, 14,000 of those were still flu vaccinations. So we are shifting that focus. And yes, we are also opening up extra facilities. So in NHS uh, Greater uh, Glasgow and Clyde, that uh, Hampden Park and uh, Glasgow uh, Central Mosque is already uh, available as uh, a mass large vaccination centre in NH NHS Lothian, Lowland Hall and Ingleson is already uh, operating as a, a large scale vaccination centre in NHS Lanarkshire, the Ravenscraig facilities and we are also uh, seeking to bring on uh, additional uh, facilities. So Edinburgh International Conference Centre, for example, the Edinburgh Corn Exchange, um, these are all uh, under active preparation to come on stream. I am confident we can get to, uh, even just from what I've said there about switching flu, to the around 70,000 a day that we want to get to, uh, and everything has been done to do that. But please do not lose sight of that first point I made. No matter how fast we go, uh, this virus is running so fast that we must also take action to slow it down. Douglas Ross. I certainly won't lose sight of the first point the First Minister made, because she was right to say people vaccinated today are not immediately protected against the virus. That's why on these benches we have been calling for the reintroduction of these mass vaccination centres for weeks. If the Scottish Government had acted when we first called for them, twice in COVID statements in November, at FMQs two weeks ago, we would be further along the road than we are at the moment. And although the new variant has meant necessary changes to guidance, it's not right that once again businesses are still waiting to hear what they need to do to comply with the First Minister's statement from Tuesday. She was right to say earlier on, this will have a massive impact on businesses. But businesses have told us that they heard earlier this week from Scottish Government officials, and the officials told them that new rules could come into effect on Saturday. They were then told it could be Monday. They were then told to prepare for 5pm on Friday. Remember, this is from Scottish Government officials. So can the First Minister give the answer her officials seem unable to and tell us when will these laws actually begin? First Minister. Uh, yes, I will. I'll come on to that in a second, but let me complete the point on vaccination. Um, I understand uh, why Douglas Ross and everybody, and I include myself in this, wants to see this programme go as fast as possible. I repeat, because I think it is important, and I think it is important to give the credit, as Douglas Ross rightly did, to the vaccination teams across the country. Currently, we have the fastest programme in the UK. I want to see that speed up even more. That says to me that what we have been doing, the mix of facilities has been right, but we've got to now go faster. It is not the case for reasons of staffing, for reasons of uh, do not attend at mass clinics uh, where the geography doesn't support them. And many members have raised in this chamber before the difficulty some people have in travelling to mass vaccination clinics. So it is not the case that had we had more mass clinics rather than the, the several smaller ones that we would have vaccinated more people. That's not how it works. It is not that straightforward. So we need to have the right mix and that is what we continue to have. But let's uh, be clear. And I, I hope, presiding officer, 
Every member uh, across the Chamber will continue to scrutinise our progress. I absolutely welcome that. I think it's really important. But please accept the assurance that nothing is more important to me, to the Health Secretary and to the entire government right now than getting boosters into people's arms as quickly as is feasible. Um, on the point about guidance and regulations, the regulations come into effect at one minute past midnight tomorrow morning, Friday the 17th. In actual fact, high-level central guidance on the announcements made on Tuesday was published immediately after my statement on Tuesday. I said in Parliament on Tuesday that more detailed guidance uh, would follow this week. Uh, that guidance will be available online from today. In fact, I suspect it will, because uh, I've just uh, cleared it before coming here. I suspect it will be online during this session of First Minister's questions. We have been engaging with business organisations throughout this week on uh, these issues and the guidance uh, for uh, these sectors. So uh, this is difficult for businesses. That's uh, part of what I was stressing in the remarks I made earlier on. But can I come back to the central point? We are now facing, two years into this pandemic, a variant of the virus that is spreading faster than anything that we have experienced so far. Omicron is doubling every two to three days in Scotland. In parts of the UK, the doubling time is currently less than two days. It will be the dominant strain by tomorrow, I expect, in Scotland. It has an R number uh, that some assessments say is above four. We do not have time to waste. We don't have time to waste on vaccination, but we don't have time to waste on putting in place the protective measures yeah. that will help slow this down. Uh, lives, again, are at risk here livelihoods are at risk and the NHS is at risk and that's why yes the government's got to speed up vaccination but all of us have to come together to do what is required to slow this down and the UK government has to step up and provide the financial support that businesses need. Douglas Ross. Again I agree with the First Minister livelihoods are at risk which is why we need clarity from the government to the businesses who are seeking it. So this morning, the Health Secretary, Hamza Youssef, was asked when the guidance would be published, and he said, and I quote, today, it should be published today. At the other side of the First Minister is the Deputy First Minister, who appeared before the, who appeared before the COVID committee this morning, and I'm going to quote what he said at the time. He said the guidance will be published in the course of Friday. The Cabinet Secretary for COVID Recovery and the Deputy First Minister also said it was still being written as he spoke to the committee less than an hour ago. I understand he's now tweeted an apology. Well, the Deputy First Minister is asking me to move on. He has had to apologise and is going to write to committee. But these are businesses looking to the government. They are trying to get the clarity, and we can't get it between the Health Secretary, the First Minister, and the Deputy First Minister. So we've got officials telling businesses three different dates when the law will come into force. The First Minister has now had to confirm that in the Chamber. The men sitting side of the First Minister have given confusing and inaccurate advice yeah. to businesses yeah. in the course of today. So can the First Minister accept that this is at the very least unfortunate? It is causing confusion and what the businesses need is clarity to apply this guidance in just over 24 hours' time. Absolutely. First Minister. The guidance will be published, uh, I expect, before we are out of the Chamber. Businesses have been communicated with uh, business organisations throughout the week. 
Much of what we are asking businesses to do now is what they have done at previous stages in the pandemic. Many of the businesses, supermarkets, for example, still have some of these measures in place. The Deputy First Minister accidentally said tomorrow, instead of today in guidance, because it's tomorrow the regulations come into force, he immediately corrected that. So, you know, for goodness sake, we have a virus raging around this country. We are trying to act at speed to protect people as much as possible, because that is our duty. And I take that duty, whether people across the chamber and the country agree or disagree with me. I hope nobody doubts how seriously I and this government take the duty to protect people and the country from this virus. But actually, presiding officer, I think what businesses want and what businesses need more than anything right now is the Chancellor of the Exchequer at his desk putting the financial support schemes in place that will stop them going to the wall. Because the fact is, right now, if we act, that has implications for businesses. They must be compensated. But if we don't act, that possibly has even bigger implications for businesses. I take my responsibilities really seriously. I hope to speak to the Prime Minister this afternoon if he makes himself available so that we can work together, to, as we did previously in this pandemic, to put in place the support for businesses so that all of us can make sure we are doing everything we can to protect human health and life. Douglas Ross. I, I've said to the First Minister, I said it in my opening remarks, it's right that we look at what we can do across the United Kingdom, but it's also right in this chamber we can do what we can to scrutinise and try to help the government. Because, because the First Minister said the Deputy First Minister accidentally spoke, did he also accidentally speak when he said to the committee that guidance was still being written? So he was also incorrect with that. And, and, and can the First Minister... Well, we're trying to get some... Members, I would very much like to hear Mr Ross's question. Mr Ross. I, I'm, I'm grateful, presiding officer, because I am just trying to get some clarity. Yeah. And, and we also need a little clarity, because I just want to check. The BBC are saying they have it in writing from the Scottish Government that the regulations behind the new protections for retail and hospitality would take effect from um, uh, one minute past midnight on Saturday but the First Minister has just said it's one minute past midnight on Friday. Which is it? Because that was the Scottish Government telling the BBC on Tuesday. Has that changed? Why has that changed? And surely, and surely you know, with these big changes, it shouldn't just be in response to a question from the opposition. This should be put out to businesses straight away, and it's not. So the First Minister will also understand that businesses need some measure of good news. And this week... She did agree to our demands for emergency cancellation compensation. But businesses currently don't know when the funds are coming and how much money they will get. First Minister, this is about people's jobs. Uh, sorry, I'm sorry, presiding officer, but when SNP members say I am shameless, I am trying to make sure that money that has been made available gets to the businesses who need it. So will the First Minister simply guarantee that businesses will receive that £100 million of yeah. support before Christmas. First Minister. Let me just deal uh, directly with all the points. Uh, the uh, regulations come into force at one minute past midnight tomorrow morning. That is Friday. Why are we trying to do this as quickly as possible and perhaps even more quickly than we first thought we would need to do? Let me just come back to a central point. 
Omicron is currently raging around this country. It is doubling every two to three days. Every 24 hours matters in terms of saving people's lives and protecting the health service. So that is why we are going really fast and we are communicating with business organisations as we go. Um, secondly, the Deputy First Minister uh, was right to say that the uh, guidance was still being finalised. I said, I think, in my first answer to Douglas Ross, I just signed off the guidance before I came to the Chamber so that it can be issued uh, before uh, we uh, leave the Chamber today. Look, all of these things, yes, of course, Douglas Ross is entitled to scrutinise me over anything he wants. But, you know, whether guidance is going to be, whether the Deputy First Minister accidentally said tomorrow instead of today, I've now clarified it is today. I'm not sure that's the most important thing we face right now. And lastly, <laughs> lastly, presiding officer, we will get, we will get the £100 million that with great difficulty we have managed to find from other budgets eh, as quickly as we can. You know, we, eh, when I last stood in this chamber, eh, as we know, because it, for many of the exchanges, we had the Treasury was going to give us additional uh, money. Um, Douglas Ross seemed to think that was a, a great wheeze. I will you know, leave others to think whether it's wheezes we should be focusing on right now. What we now know is we are poorer after that Treasury announcement than we thought we were before. We'll get the money as quickly as possible, but £100 million is not enough Briefly, for these Minister. businesses, which is why we need the Chancellor and the Prime Minister to do their jobs and to get proper financial support in place for businesses as quickly as possible. Question number two, Anna Sarwar. <clears throat> Thank you, President Officer. Can I, can I start by urging the public to please wear a mask wherever you can uh, to follow the guidance. And please, if you haven't had your first or second dose, please book your appointment. And if you haven't yet had your booster but are eligible to do so, please book your booster appointment. It's about protecting yourself, your family and those round about you. Can I also say that there are businesses across the country who are anxious about what's going to happen to their business, uh, what's going to happen to their employees. And what they will not appreciate is politics or bickering. What they will expect is both the Scottish and the UK government to work together in the national interest to protect people, their lives and their livelihoods. <coughs> President officer, the Omicron variant is causing anxiety across the country, and we know that COVID still poses a risk to our society. It is right that we remobilise our NHS to confront the virus, but we can't lose sight of the fact that cancer remains Scotland's biggest killer. Since the start of the pandemic, almost 30,000 of our fellow Scots have died from cancer. Every one of these deaths, just like COVID, is a tragedy. Macmillan Cancer Support and Cancer Research UK have both expressed concerns this week over fears of cancer patients waiting to be diagnosed and waiting to start treatment. They have said that swift action is needed from government and NHS leaders. What action is the First Minister taking in Cancer Research UK's words to prevent a cancer catastrophe? First Minister. Uh, firstly, can I uh, start by thanking Anna Sarwart uh, for uh, repeating the advice to the public at the start of his question. Uh, we have many differences in this chamber and, uh, of course, this session is about scrutiny. But I hope, as we did at the start of the pandemic, we can also come together to communicate with one voice to the public. It is really important. So I'm grateful to and indeed to, to Douglas Ross for doing that. Uh, I agree that businesses are terribly anxious right now, and I understand why. I also agree that this is not about politics. In a different context, the comments I'm making here about funding would be political. They're not. I have to make these comments because they are statements of fact. And I would ask Anna Sarwar to reflect on the fact that what I am saying here 
today about funding support for business from the UK government is exactly the same as his Labour colleagues are saying in the House of Commons right now. So this is not about politics. This is about all of us within our own responsibilities, doing everything we can to meet this challenge. I will do everything within my responsibility, uh, but I need to urge the Prime Minister and the Chancellor uh, to do more within theirs. Uh, on the point about cancer, it is absolutely the case that every death from cancer at all times is a tragedy. And anyone, whether with cancer or any other condition that has had treatment delayed uh, over the course of this pandemic, that is uh, obviously tragic. Uh, we are working through investments, through uh, investments particularly into early diagnosis, uh, through the early cancer diagnostic centres, to make sure that there is speedy, timeous treatment uh, for cancer. Uh, the NHS remains under sustained pressure, and that pressure will grow in the weeks to come. Uh, but within uh, the most recent uh, quarter, uh, more patients were treated uh, within the 62-day uh, waiting time standard compared to pre-COVID. So that is an indication uh, that we were starting to catch up on some of the backlogs. We must keep a focus on that. But if we are to protect the ability of the NHS to do that, we must absolutely bear down on the pressure that has been put on it because of COVID. Anna Sarwar. Uh, be in no doubt, I, I expect the Scottish Government and the UK Government, and that includes Rishi Sunak and the Treasury, to be at their desk doing everything they can to work together to support businesses across the country. Be in no doubt uh, about that. Um, I recognise what the First Minister says, but figures published this week show there have already been over 400 more cancer deaths than were expected this year. That is higher than the 293 last year. This is getting worse, not better. First Minister, in March, long before Omicron, you said we are now focused on getting the NHS back to normal. But there are plenty of examples of people having to wait too long for treatment. Here is just one. A 71-year-old man who has previously had skin cancer, contacted his GP in the summer, fearing it had returned. His GP confirmed this and referred him to a consultant. Months later, he is still waiting for an appointment. We know that the earlier you are diagnosed and the earlier you start treatment, the higher your chance of survival. Why has more progress not been made since March? First Minister. Um, I think progress has been made since March, but of course, uh, since March, not just Omicron, since March, we've had uh, the Delta variant that set back uh, the ability of the NHS to recover. And now, of course, we're dealing with Omicron. Health services all over the world uh, are struggling to get back to normal uh, because of the continued uh, and increasing, at times, pressure that the virus is placing uh, on us. Uh, but we have invested, we continue to invest early in the Detect Cancer Early programme. I absolutely agree with the fact that the earlier we detect cancer, uh, the more able uh, the NHS is to save lives. Uh, we have also established uh, in recent times uh, the first three early cancer diagnostic centres in NHS Ayrshire and Arran, NHS Fife and NHS Dumfries and Galloway. And they are about providing a referral route for patients who do not have standard uh, symptoms of cancer. Uh, we are making uh, significant investments in other parts of the, the cancer journey to speed up the time uh, for diagnosis and then speed up the time from diagnosis into treatment. All of that has continued. It will continue. Uh, but we will uh, get the NHS for cancer care and other care more firmly onto the road to recovery the more able we are uh, to bear down on the COVID cases. And that comes back to the central messages that we all have to communicate. Please cut down your contacts so that we are avoiding any opportunity that we can for this virus to spread. Anna Sarwa. I know what the First Minister says, but statistics published this week show that almost one in five of the most urgent cancer cases are not starting treatment on time. And between July and September, just three months, 677 patients waited longer than the government's own target. 
But this is a problem that predates the pandemic. This government has not met its cancer treatment target for almost a decade. And as we enter into the new phase of the pandemic, we must learn the lessons of the last year. We know that for bowel cancer alone, there is a backlog of over half a million screening kits. There is still no breast cancer screening for women over 70, and operations are being cancelled. So can the First Minister commit that as part of any redeployment, cancer services will be protected? That means no pause to screening programmes, genuine accelerations so we can catch up, and no cancelled cancer operations, because we can't have an NHS that chooses between treating a virus or treating cancer. First Minister. Uh, cancer services have rightly been prioritised throughout the pandemic, and, and that will continue. That does not mean there has been no impact whatsoever. I, uh, the, the decision, I, I remember it vividly, is one of the early days in the pandemic to pause cancer screening programmes was one of the most difficult decisions that our clinical advisers um, had to take. Uh, screening programmes uh, have restarted and have resumed. Uh, the issue with uh, older women uh, for, for cancer, uh, breast cancer is, is correct and we want to get that back to normal as, as quickly as possible. We have two cancer targets. The 31-day target uh, has consistently been met now for some considerable time. The 62-day target, which is a, a whole journey uh, target, is not being met. Uh, and I'm, I'm not saying that that is good enough, but more than 80 per cent, 83 per cent, are seen uh, within that 62-day uh, target. Uh, we continue to prioritise diagnosis and treatment, uh, and we will continue uh, to take all uh, appropriate steps to, to do so. I dearly wish I could stand here and say that we can somehow protect the NHS generally and cancer services in particular from all of the impact of this pandemic. Um, I can't do that, no matter how hard we work to try. The only thing that will protect the NHS from the pandemic is getting the pandemic under control and driving these cases down. I know Anna Sauer uh, agrees with that and accepts that, uh, but that is why right now, yet again, the most important thing we need to do is get vaccines into people's arms as quickly as possible, but appeal to the public to behave in a way that stops this Omicron variant uh, in its tracks. That's the best thing we can do right now for ourselves, our loved ones, but also for the National Health Service. Question number three, Ariane Burgess. To ask the First Minister how a just transition can be secured for the Highlands and Islands. First Minister. We are determined to leave uh, no one uh, individuals or communities behind as we move to a net zero economy. Our national just transition planning framework published in September sets out how we will develop just transition plans with different sectors and regions. Uh, it's critical that these build on existing skills and expertise and create good green jobs. Uh, we need bold action to do this. I saw for myself a prime example where, with support from Highlands and Islands Enterprise, the port of Nig has been transformed into the largest offshore wind tower manufacturer in the UK. Our first Just Transition Plan will be published next year with a focus on energy, and this will help set out how the transition is managed, ensuring fairness for all communities, including the Highlands and Islands. Ariane Burgess. The pausing of Cambo shows that the need for secure and sustainable jobs in our Highland and Island communities is greater than ever, and I was delighted to see the potential for 400 renewable jobs at NIG. Scotland has a quarter of Europe's offshore renewable potential. This, is in, this includes tidal power, and I'm pleased the Island Centre for Net Zero, based in Orkney, is included as a national development in the new draft national planning framework. Can the First Minister outline what else the Scottish Government can do to realise this potential? 
create and sustain new jobs in the Highlands and Islands and elsewhere in Scotland as part of a just transition away from fossil fuels. First Minister. So, one, firstly, what we've got to do is make sure we fully exploit our renewable energy resources. Offshore wind is uh, one of the, the greatest assets that we have. But secondly, we need to ensure, and as I've said candidly before, I don't think uh, for uh, many, many years we have done this well enough. We need to capture all of the economic benefits of that right throughout the supply chain. There's much that the government is doing to seek uh, to achieve that right now. I will give one other example, which is the Scotland uh, leasing round, uh, which recently closed. Uh, but applicants there need to supply a supply chain development statement, which sends a signal of how important we take the imperative of creating jobs from a renewable energy Developments. Uh, marine energy is another massive uh, opportunity uh, for the Highlands and Islands and indeed for all of Scotland. So we will continue to focus very much as we make this transition on ensuring that it is a transition that brings the jobs and the economic benefit that is so necessary uh, to ensure that uh, the industries that we are transitioning from are not left behind. Question number four, Stuart McMillan. Thank you, President Officer, to ask the First Minister what the Scottish Government's response is to the latest household waste statistics from SEPA, which show a small reduction in household recycling in 2020 compared to 2019. First Minister. Well, it's obviously disappointing to see the 2020 household recycling rate fall back, but we must acknowledge the unprecedented and challenging uh, year for everyone, including local authorities, as a result of COVID. Uh, SEPA believes that the COVID lockdowns and unavoidable disruption to recycling services, including the closure of recycling centres for a period of time, had an impact on local recycling rates. However, despite challenges, curbside recycling actually increased during 2020, and I know local authorities worked really hard to keep priority services going throughout the pandemic, and I want to thank staff for all of their efforts. Uh, we are determined to accelerate progress to meet our waste reduction and recycling targets, and the Minister for Circular Economy recently announced a £20.3 million uh, worth of landmark investments from the Recycling Improvement Fund to help deliver a step change in our recycling. Stuart McMillan. I thank the First Minister for that reply. And clearly, recycling is just one way that we actually can reduce our impact on the planet. And it is obvious that the COVID-19 pandemic has had a negative impact upon local authorities, including Mullen and Inverclyde, and their recycling activities, which now makes it even more important that we need to try to reuse or upcycle items even before recycling. Can the First Minister indicate what assistance is available to local authorities to actually help them to improve their recycling capabilities, including any funding to help with capital investments? And what can the Scottish Government do to assist businesses, including small businesses such as Inverico and my constituency, that want to adopt a circular approach to their products so that they remain in use for longer? First Minister. Well, as I said in my original answer, the £20 million uh, worth of investments from the Recycling Improvement Fund uh, marks the beginning of one of the, the biggest investments in recycling uh, seen in Scotland in a generation, and that will support local authorities and, by extension, uh, businesses, uh, including small businesses. It will also make it easier for households to recycle more and drive up rates of recycling. It's estimated that the investment has the potential to reduce CO2 emissions uh, by 21,400 tonnes a year, which is the equivalent of taking more than 11,000 cars off the road. Uh, Zero Waste Scotland also provides a range of support to businesses to help them develop circular economy approaches. Uh, that includes support for design, remanufacturing and skills development, uh, supporting innovative projects that deliver carbon savings, uh, leverage investment and create jobs. Uh, final two points. I think uh, while it is disappointing that we saw 
uh, the recycling rate fall back during COVID. I would repeat again that we did see an increase in curbside uh, recycling and also in 2020 the amount of waste going to landfill uh, was at its lowest level uh, since records began. So there are uh, reasons there to be uh, encouraged but we need to do more to maintain progress. Stephen Kerr. Thank you, uh, Presiding Officer. The recycling rate has fallen two years in a row, and it is simply part of a catalogue of Scottish Government climate change target failures. So, can I ask the First Minister when will the 2013 recycling target be met? First Minister. Well, if the Scottish Government is failing on climate change, I am not sure what that says about the UK Government, since we are further ahead, I think, than them on. Um, look, these, these are serious issues. These these presiding officers are serious issues. Um, it is the case that uh, the recycling rate did fall back. Uh, I think that is, uh, while not, not something that we are happy about, I think it is understandable for a, a part of uh, last year, recycling centres were closed uh, for a period. What we need to do now is get back on track and improve that. And what I was saying is the fact that we still saw curbside uh, recycling increase, that we have the lowest uh, amount of waste going to landfill since records began. Uh, these are things that should encourage us uh, to press forward and make sure that we build that momentum. Uh, the uh, Minister for the Circular Economy also set out uh, how we intend to progress towards implementation of the deposit return scheme uh, in Parliament earlier this week. Um, well, it's, it's, it's interesting that the Conservatives complained. They wanted us to delay it further uh, the last time we were uh, talking about it. These are serious issues. There is serious investment and serious action on the part of the Scottish Government, and we will continue to ensure that is the case. Question number five, Douglas Lumsden. Uh, thank you, President. Officer. I remind members of my register of interest that shows I am a councillor at Aberdeen City Council to ask the First Minister what discussions she has had with COSLA regarding the local government funding settlement for 2022-23. First Minister. Uh, ministers meet COSLA and individual local authorities on a regular basis to cover a range of issues, including the local government funding settlement. The Finance Secretary met with COSLA on the 27th of October, the 11th and 25th of November, and again on the 8th of December to discuss the local government settlement and the spending review. Douglas Lumsden. Uh, I, I thank the First Minister for her reply. However, it is obvious to us all that not only has the First Minister turned her back on the oil and gas industry, meaning thousands of jobs will be lost, but now the First Minister has turned her back on local government. COSLA have shown us, when you compare like for like between years, it is a savage cut to their budget this year. When will the First Minister pick up the phone to COSLA, apologise and provide them with the settlement local government deserves, given all the work they've done over the last two years? First Minister. Well, firstly, um, I, I don't need to pick up the phone to the member. I can say it directly to him across the chamber. If the Conservatives want uh, to propose more money for local government in the next stage of the budget, then they can come forward and they can point to the part of the budget where we should take that money from. That is open to them, and I'm sure the Finance Secretary will be prepared uh, to listen. Secondly, if we're talking about savage cuts, uh, Presiding Officer, let's get some facts on the table. Uh, we have, uh, in the period between 2013 and 2020, delivered a cash terms revenue budget increase to Scotland's local authorities. Over the same period, local authorities in England, where the Members' Party is in government, have faced a cash terms revenue budget cut 
of 14.7%. Now, the, the point I'm making here, presiding officer, is that all governments face difficult issues here. Uh, we have to make choices, uh, but the choices we make are protecting local government in Scotland more than is the case elsewhere in the UK, and we will continue to make these choices with public services very much at our heart. Question number six, Mark Griffin. Thank you, President Officer. To ask the First Minister whether the Scottish Government will require large retail stores to close on New Year's Day 2022 so that retail workers can spend the day with their loved ones. First Minister. Well, can I say firstly, I wholeheartedly um, appreciate the efforts of retail workers who have uh, worked tirelessly throughout the pandemic. Um, as members will have heard me uh, articulate before in the Chamber, I have been very sympathetic to calls for large stores to close on New Year's Day. Um, but, and we've looked very carefully at this, and uh, the Minister set out our conclusions to Parliament not that long ago. Uh, the Christmas and New Year's Day Trading Act uh, does not ensure that all retail employees would get a day off, or crucially, that they would be paid for that day off. Uh, so we want to go further than the legislation currently allows us to, through focusing on wider fair work principles across the retail sector. Uh, we will do this through the forthcoming retail strategy, as set out in a statement by uh, the Minister, as I said, I, I think on the 26th. Of October. Mark Griffin. The First Minister will, will know herself that despite what she says, there is deep disappointment with the Government's decision not to use existing powers to close large retail stores on New Year's Day. And that, that they've done so against the overwhelming uh, response from workers who are in favour that, of that, and a Government report which states it's unlikely to have a significant negative effect on the, the economy. And as the First Minister alluded, alluded to rightly before she said that shop workers deserve a festive, a, a festive break such as the rest of us get the benefit of. But the Government has not enacted legislation which would do just that for the vast majority of Scottish shop workers. Now, can I ask what the First Minister would say to retail workers who again can't spend New Year's Day safely with their families? and what government plans are to deliver a decent break for shop workers over the festive period after they've worked so hard during the course of this pandemic. First Minister. Well, I, I, I really do feel, as the member does quite strongly about this issue, and I want to set out clearly why the current law is not uh, sufficient to allow us to achieve what Mark Griffin is asking for. I would encourage uh, particularly large uh, retail employers to uh, give their uh, staff appropriate time off. I, I know that some retailers, Morrisons, M&S, Sainsbury's, Aldi, have already announced plans to close for an additional day over the festive period. The current law allows us to restrict trading in certain premises. So it allows us to insist that stores are closed. What it does not allow us to do is insist that employees get a day off. So stores could have workers in stocking shelves, for example. And crucially, it does not allow us to insist that if workers do get a day off, it is a paid day off. So it is simply not possible to achieve the outcome. That is why, as the Minister said to Parliament, we want to look through our retail strategy, how we do get to a situation where the ends that I think Mark Griffin and I agree with can actually be achieved, but in a, a way that benefits workers and doesn't inadvertently penalise them. And I hope Mark Griffin would accept these points and perhaps work with us to try to get that outcome in the uh, months ahead. Question number seven, Beatrice Wishart. Thank you, Presiding Officer. To ask the First Minister whether the Scottish Government will set up a commission on preventing violence against women and girls in light of reports that one in five teenage girls have been sexually assaulted. 
First Minister. Well, firstly, Presiding Officer, can I say that I know uh, all of us across this chamber and uh, most across society will be shocked and appalled that women and girls are still facing assault and violence uh, in our society today. Uh, during the recent 16 days of activism, this chamber highlighted that we must all stand together against gender-based violence. Uh, the Scottish Government has taken and will continue to take robust action by improving our laws and providing funding to services supporting anyone who has experienced domestic abuse, rape and sexual assault. Uh, we are delivering our long-standing and very uh, well-respected equally safe strategy in collaboration with a wide range of partners. Uh, we think this is the best route to tackle and challenge the attitudes that underpin violence against women and girls and ultimately prevent it from taking place. But of course, we will continue to listen to views from across the chamber to make sure we are doing all that is necessary. Beatrice Wishart. I thank the First Minister for that answer. It is recognised and welcome that the Scottish Government has done work, such as the First Minister has just outlined, to address violence against women and girls and change attitudes. And we have gold-plated legislation to tackle domestic abuse. But as the Sunday Post report highlighted last week, 80% of schoolgirls have suffered abuse or harassment or know someone who has. And sadly, that finding is one of many similar situations. Domestic abuse rates up, rape convictions woefully low, two-thirds of women don't feel safe on our streets, and three in five suffer street harassment. The culture of violence against women and girls needs to be tackled with a holistic approach. Scottish Liberal Democrats have proposed a commission to look across all aspects of life in order to make societal change. This is about more than justice, more than policing, more than education. It's about women and girls being and feeling safe at home, school, work, everywhere. Would the First Minister see the value in a fundamentally new approach? First Minister. Uh, given the situation we face, I think it would be wrong for anyone, uh, and certainly wrong for me, to, to rule out uh, new approaches. Uh, fundamental uh, or otherwise. I, and I do take very seriously the call that has been made for a commission. I, I want to assure the member that is something that we continue to give consideration to. Um, I am not sure in my own mind whether establishing a commission is necessarily uh, the right thing to do that will make a difference. It is really important that we continue with the equally safe strategy, with the increased investment for the organisations working at the front line of this. But I do not close my mind to anything uh, that might help us to make uh, a more significant uh, fundamental uh, step change in this. Uh, I am also, uh, of course, mindful of the fact, and we are in the process of, of refreshing it at the moment, uh, that I have uh, my own advisory council on women and girls that has done a lot of good work around many of the issues that women and girls face in our society and it may be something uh, that it in its uh, refreshed form uh, can look at on that more holistic um, and fundamental basis. So I will undertake to uh, continue to update uh, Beatrice Wisher on our considerations around this and absolutely give her an assurance that we will consider in good faith any suggestions that are made and I hope she will accept the absolute determination of me and the government uh, to tackle uh, these issues which are are so fundamentally and utterly unacceptable in modern-day society. Claire Adamson. Thank you, Presiding Officer. Prevention and eradication of violence against women is our shared goal. But while abuse persists, information, support and refuge for survivors remains vital. The Joint COSLA and Scottish Women's Aid Guidance, a good practice in commissioning specialist domestic abuse services, stipulates that it is not a statutory requirement to put domestic abuse services out to tender. Will the Scottish Government consider taking action to strengthen local government guidance to ensure that core funding is secure for this specialist support services, such as provided by Women's Aid, as so many survivors rely on these 
essential specialist services. First Minister. Um, I will certainly undertake uh, to consider that. Um, I think that is an important point. Uh, we are extremely fortunate uh, in this country, and of course not alone. We have excellent uh, support and advocacy services uh, for women and girls in the form of Rape Crisis uh, Centres, Rape Crisis Scotland, and of course Women's Aid uh, across the country. There are obviously many other organisations that do fantastic work there. Uh, our focus, working with local authorities, is to ensure that they have uh, the support they need to provide those services to women. We have increased uh, the funding and are increasing over this Parliament the funding that is available, but ensuring that gets to the, the services uh, that have the experience and uh, the expertise uh, to help women is important. So the point um, about putting uh, services out to tender and the way in which services are funded and the guidance that underpins that is a, a very valid one and I will certainly undertake to have a look at that and write to Claire Adamson when I have had the opportunity to do so. Martin Whitfield. I'm very grateful, Presiding Officer. And can I welcome the First Minister's comments to Beatrice Wishart about the commitment of this Government and indeed this Parliament towards our young people, particularly girls. But given the announcements in the Sunday Post at the weekend based on the work of Soma Sara, what is the Scottish Government doing about the responsibility of our local authorities over whose Wi-Fi in the schools these bullying messages and assaults are taking place? First Minister. Well, I would expect local authorities to take that very seriously, as the Scottish Government would uh, take that very seriously. Um, I'm happy to come back to the member in more detail, uh, having you know, had the opportunity to, to consider uh, the answer to his question uh, more fully. But there is a really important uh, general point underpinning that question, which is uh, the ways in which young people communicate are radically different to what was the case when we were at school. Um, and therefore, our responses to that and the ways in which young people can be subjected to bullying has to keep pace with that. And clearly, the internet uh, and technology um, is absolutely at the heart of that. So that puts a, an added onus on all of us to make sure that our responses are fit for purpose. But in terms of the, the particular technical points there, I will come back to the member as soon as possible. We'll now take supplementary questions. I'll just um, you know, advise members there's a lot of interest, so the, the um, more succinct the questions and responses, the more members will be able to include. And I call Kenneth Gibson. Thank you, Presiding Officer. NHS Ayrshire Nan has suspended all but what they deem essential hospital visits, such as nearing the end of life or a terminal illness diagnosis. This is despite the First Minister stating on Tuesday that it is really important that visiting goes ahead, albeit with a sensible limit of two visitors per patient. No attempt is being made to ascertain the COVID status of visitors, and this confused situation is causing a lot of upset to my constituents and across Ayrshire. What steps will the First Minister take to ensure parents, patients in Ayrshire will be able to receive visitors this Christmas? First Minister. Well, we have been made aware of NHS Ayrshire and Arden's decision, and I can uh, advise Kenny Gibson that officials have this morning been in discussion with the Health Board. Uh, I appreciate that these are exceptionally difficult circumstances for health boards, but we have been very clear uh, what our expectations are in visiting are, and these are, as I set out in my statement and question and answers on Tuesday. Uh, Scottish Government officials have been assured by Ayrshire and Arden that this decision will be urgently reviewed and that they're very mindful of the need to ensure no one is isolated in hospital over Christmas. Um, and we are being assured that the board is supporting all essential visiting. Uh, obviously, COVID status is really important and uh, we all need to be aware of that. So I would take the opportunity to remind everyone who is visiting a loved one in hospital how vital it is to take a lateral flow test ahead of every single visit. Sandesh Gilhani. Mr Gulhani, 
Um, Mr Gulhani, we can't hear you in the chamber. Can I just make any adjustment and see if that makes any difference to us here? There we go. Is that best, presiding officer? It is indeed. Please begin again. Thank you. The Omicron variant affects people differently, especially if they are double vaccinated. The Zoe app is showing, along with a classic triad of cough, fever and loss of taste or smell, Omicron also gives people headaches, runny noses, scratchy throats, extreme tiredness, muscle aches and night sweats. Knowing that this is also part of having a cold or a flu, uh, would the First Minister raise this with the CMOs across the four nations and consider adding these symptoms to the list that require a PCR test? First Minister. Um, it's a very good point, but can I assure the member that these things are kept under uh, ongoing review by the four chief medical officers? It's something that I and the, the Health Secretary uh, discuss with our own chief medical officer on a regular basis. I know the reports, I've read the reports about the, uh, the, the, the fact or the suggestion that the symptoms of Omicron are presenting differently to the symptoms of previous variants. Um, and I think that is something the chief medical officers I know will want to bear in mind uh, and to consider whether the update, uh, the case definition uh, advice that has been in place. My advice to people, if you have uh, worries about perhaps having COVID to make sure you get a PCR test. And if you are showing positive on an LFD uh, device, make sure you go and get a PCR test test we are. I indicated on Tuesday that I had a slight concern that perhaps people were not going for testing as we got closer to Christmas. I have to say that concern has been allayed with increased testing rates over the days since. But the point about being vigilant around symptoms is important and I'm sure the Chief Medical Officer would be happy to discuss it directly with the member if that would be helpful. Pam Duncan Clancy. Thank you, President Officer. Recently, a mum and dad contacted me about the difficulty they're having getting their daughter, Emily, a formal autism assessment. When my office contacted the local health board about this, we were told that they are currently only appointing children referred in June 2019 for assessment. That's at least a two-year waiting list. Whilst Emily is left waiting for a diagnosis, her condition is getting worse. Her education is suffering as she's unable to access the additional support she needs without a diagnosis, and her parents are left supported. To be compliant with the UNCRPD, the government must ensure disabled children have the full enjoyment of their human rights and fundamental freedoms on an equal basis with non-disabled children. Can the First Minister set out what the Scottish Government intends to do to address such lengthy waiting times and make sure that children such as Emily are not left waiting years for an autism assessment? First Minister. Um, it is really important to uh, make the points that uh, Pam Duncan Glancy has just made. Uh, obviously, all services are under considerable pressure right now, and I unfortunately uh, expect that that is going to increase, not decrease, in the immediate weeks uh, that lie ahead. But the points about uh, the priority for urgent services, the points about equity um, and human rights impacts of uh, children in particular with disabilities are well made. Uh, I will look into the specific issue about waiting times for autism uh, after uh, I, I leave the chamber today and I will uh, take the uh, opportunity to write to Pam Duncan Glancy with a fuller answer when I've had the opportunity to do so. Emma Harper. Thank you, President Officer. Uh, can I ask the First Minister if she will join me in thanking every member of our NHS staff, every volunteer and every person who has went along to get their booster jag for their stunning and bro efforts that have allowed Scotland to become the first UK nation to give a booster or third dose of COVID-19 vaccine to more than half of its entire adult population. 
First Minister. Uh, I will, uh, and I, I'm sure the whole chamber will join me in thanking uh, everybody in every vaccination team across the country who is you know, truly uh, doing heroic work right now uh, to get boosters, jags into people's arms as quickly as possible. I don't think I can find the words uh, that uh, properly convey uh, the depth of my appreciation and gratitude uh, to every single member uh, of those teams. Uh, I would encourage them to keep going. We will do everything we can to support them. But also, uh, as we build, and this is a key point, uh, the, the responsibility on government working with health boards to make sure the capacity is there to meet this uh, target we set ourselves for the end of the year is obvious, and, and I you know, accept that unreservedly. But we need people to come forward as well. We need people to get on the system, to book their appointments uh, where uh, they can, uh, as quickly as they can. Everybody over 18 can do that in the online portal uh, now, uh, apart from in island uh, communities where communication is different, but across mainland Scotland, uh, that is, is the case. So please uh, book your appointment. We'll do what we need to do to make sure the capacity is there. Please come forward and together uh, through this national mission, Hopefully we can use booster jags uh, to get us out the other end of this uh, new challenge with Omicron. Maurice Golden. Thank you, President Officer. My constituent Leslie was admitted to Carsview following a relapse in her postpartum psychosis and was eventually moved to ICU. Leslie has been dis discharged but is yet to receive occupational therapy and it could take weeks to appoint a community psychiatric nurse. The staff are incredible, but a lack of resources means Leslie just isn't getting the treatment she needs. The First Minister met Leslie during a photo call when funding for perinatal mental health care was announced, so she has heard the promises. Will the First Minister now ensure Leslie gets the treatment she needs? First Minister. I remember uh, meeting Leslie and I want to send her my uh, best wishes. I will uh, certainly look into the uh, particular circumstances. Uh, I think the, the day I, I met Leslie, um, if memory serves me correctly, I think it's St John's um, in, in Livingston, uh, we were announcing significant investment in perinatal mental health, which I think underlines the significance and the importance we attach to that. Uh, there are challenges across all services right now uh, in terms of the pressure of COVID increasingly from staff absences, which are compounding some of the challenges that were there already. But the importance of getting timely care and services to people is, is obvious. Uh, so we will continue to work uh, with health boards to ensure that. As I say, I'm happy to uh, look into the particular circumstances around uh, Leslie's own situation. But I come back to the, the point. We, we must, all of us, do what is required to get COVID cases on a downward path again, because as long as they are rising as rapidly as they are right now, these challenges are going to continue. So I accept the government's responsibility here, but all of us across the country have a part to play in ensuring that we get the NHS back on track. Jackie Bailey. Yesterday, my constituents queued for up to two hours waiting to get their booster jabs. They understand the need to get vaccinated, so they waited patiently. But at about 7pm, they were told that they should go home as they would not be vaccinated that day. Some 200 of them were turned away and they had appointments for 7.30 that evening. They've since been unable to rebook their vaccinations. Now, I think we can all accept that there will be glitches, but people in my constituency want to be vaccinated and they want to be vaccinated quickly. So, Will the First Minister investigate, but actually better still, will she ask Greater Glasgow and Clyde to put extra clinics on in Dumbarton? First Minister. Well, firstly, for anybody who uh, has an appointment and is not able uh, to have that appointment fulfilled, rebooking, uh, they should phone the helpline uh, because 
that is, is what is required. So that is my advice. Yes, we are uh, seeking to do everything to avoid these kind of situations happening. It is actually one of the reasons why uh, we need the balance of facility. If we just have drop-in clinics, then people go in queue and, and it's hard to match supply and demand. These things uh, we're seeking to avoid happening. I don't want people to be queuing, although um, I think if you turn up and there's a queue, wait there and get your vaccination because it is important, but we certainly don't want people to be turned away. We are working every day to resolve these issues and to make sure that this vaccination programme continues apace. And I'm not minimising the impact of people who have that experience, but this programme is a massive logistical effort that has been delivered in an excellent way by staff across the country, and we will continue to support it as best we can so that everybody who is eligible and comes forward gets a vaccination. Julian Mackay. Thank you, Presiding Officer. I thank the First Minister for her update on COVID this morning, and we have heard a lot about the impact on business, but there will be workers in customer-facing roles who will be terrified about compromising their health or going to work. If the UK Government refuses to do the right thing, could the First Minister advise of what support might be put in place to ensure those, that those in retail, hospitality and other customer-facing roles will not have to choose between their health and their income? First Minister. Well, in terms of funding support, I, I find it impossible right now to contemplate how the UK Government can fail to put in place schemes, because this is not just a, an issue that Scotland is facing. It's an issue that the whole UK is facing. The doubling times for Omicron in parts of England are even faster than they are in Scotland right now. We are, we are all in this together and I think it is going to, whatever the politics and whatever the, the sort of, uh, you know, the, the maelstrom around that we've seen in recent days, it will be, become unavoidable, I think, for the UK government to, uh, to act. And I hope they act sooner rather than later, because that is the, the issue here. The sooner we act, uh, the less of an emergency we get ourselves into. Um, we have maximise the financial support we can give um, to businesses, which is why it is important that the UK Government acts. Beyond that, though, there will always be, as there was in the initial stages of the pandemic, some workers who have to go to work because they are providing critical services. That is why it is so important that we support the right mitigations. Uh, some of the changes in guidance for supermarkets, for example, are about as much as much about supporting staff as customers. Uh, I mentioned on Tuesday the workplace testing scheme, so uh, employers can order tests direct and support their uh, employers to test regularly. It's really important that where people have to go to work, not only through financial provision, uh, but also through the mitigations that are in place, we do everything we can to protect them. Jim Fairley. <coughs> Thank you, President Officer. Can the First Minister update Parliament on the most recent COBRA meeting? First Minister. Uh, the Cobra meeting, uh, the most recent Cobra meeting, was yesterday uh, late afternoon, uh, between I think five and six o'clock. Uh, it's the second in a week. The uh, previous one happened last Friday. I welcome uh, the fact that they have happened. I think it's really important that we are uh, discussing these things seriously. It was chaired by Michael Gove uh, yesterday. Um, Many things were discussed. Obviously, I, uh, the Welsh First Minister, the Northern Irish First Minister, raised the points about the need for funding support that I have uh, reported to the Chamber today. So it's not just the Scottish Government who are raising uh, these points. Um, but these meetings are really important. I hope uh, the Prime Minister and the Chancellor engage directly in them uh, from now on, because this is a serious situation that we're all facing. Um, and it's important that we uh, compare our experiences, that we share what we are doing, but we work together where we can. And the Scottish Government is uh, ready, willing and keen to do that. Um, and I hope we see uh, that materialise over the period ahead. Sue Webber. Thank you, Presiding Officer. 
There is ongoing national press coverage and significant public interest with the Edinburgh Tram Inquiry, and this public interest continues to grow. The £500,000 allocated to the inquiry in the Scottish Budget last week will bring the total provided to, by the Scottish Government to more than £12.5 million. Once a beleaguered project is now a much beleaguered public inquiry. Edinburgh residents deserve answers into what went wrong with the building of the trams. Will the First Minister shed light as to why an inquiry that was initiated by her predecessor seven years ago is still ongoing when closing submissions concluded in 2018? First Minister. Uh, I seem to remember uh, the, the members' uh, Conservative Party predecessors actually voted for uh, the trams in, in this parliament, but there we go. Um, look, it, can I be really serious here? There is underway, and I'm going to answer the question. I'm going to answer the question. This is a statutory public inquiry convened by Lord Hardy. Um, I'm not sure if the member is genuinely asking me as a minister to interfere in the conduct of an independent statutory public inquiry. That would be deeply inappropriate. And let me just, uh, let me just hazard a guess here, presiding officer, that if I ever did so, the Tories would be the first ones on their feet uh, complaining uh, in order, uh, complaining about the fact that I did so. Uh, the judge will uh, take forward the public inquiry in whatever way the judge sees fit and will provide conclusions. And at that point, I'm sure Parliament will fully uh, consider and scrutinise those conclusions. That concludes First Minister's questions. We'll move on to members' business shortly.